In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the And it's all uphill. Is it, how, many, how many miles is it anyway, just for the hell of it? I think it's from, because I'm so far west and you're so far east, I'm guessing it's probably just shy of about 2,700. So around 3,000, somewhere around, give or take a couple hundred, few hundred, whatever. Hello. Is that what we were saying? Yeah. Uh, do my eyes deceive me or is that Cal arriving on Skype? Where? Where? It's just, just popped up onto, Cal, onto Skype. No. Yeah, my. No, it must be a Santa Claus sighting. It's a ghost. It's a ghost parapsychologist. Nope, he's not on mine. Well, he's popped up on mine. Interesting. Hmm. It says, and I quote, no Ron, question mark. Really? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I can tell you. He's not on mine, so that's all I know. Ah, anyway. it's probably, probably for the best, anyway. <laughs> How are you? I am fine. I am fine. Merry Christmas to you. It's a little early, I know. It's about a week away, right? Uh, yeah, it is. And we're all going to survive Christmas because, as I said earlier on Facebook, uh, I think the Mayans forgot the 1752 Calendar Act where we added 12... Well, we moved everything backwards by 12 days, didn't we? So, uh, so it's actually January the 2nd. Did you hear that? Oh, 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 sorry, Mayans. <laughs> that was a Mayan spaceship, I believe. I don't know what happened then. That was Cal again, probably. Probably. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hey! hey! <laughs> it is Santa Claus. Uh, no, I, I come bearing gifts. Santa Claus's little helper. <laughs> yes. Got my that, little this is, really, this is truly a Christmas miracle. Oh, uh, it's just for you, Ron. It's what Actually, you wrote on your Ron, Santa list. Isn't it more the nightmare before Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that thing. So, Cal, I mean, where did you grow up in, in UK? Where, where did you grow up? In what, what part of the UK? I'm from Nottinghamshire. I'm from the north end of it. So I'm from a place called Sutton in Ashfield, which is surrounded by more popular towns such as Mansfield. So Robin Hood country, but the far end of it. So is 
is it towards like Scotland? Is Scotland north, right? Uh, Scotland is far, far north. You're talking, uh, you know, a few extra hundred miles on top of that to get to Scotland. Nottingham's on the border of... Well, inside Nottinghamshire, it's probably one of the biggest counties we've got because then you have several towns within it. So the closest town to me is Mansfield, and I live in a little town called Sutton in Ashfield there, and also Skegby. I'm on the borders of everything. Literally, if you cross my road, you become in the next town because we're literally on the edge of it. Oh, wow. Um, But you only have to walk like a few hundred metres up the road, and you've gone from being in a town to the countryside. So everything's really close to each other. So if you like being in town, fine, you're there. If you like being in the countryside, just walk in the other direction. But I don't have the sea close to me, except for now, because I'm in Portsmouth at the moment. So the sea's on the doorstep. Okay. And and, uh, Steve, where are you from? Uh, Originally near near Liverpool, home of the Beatles. Um, Which is is what, southern, southern England? Uh, well, it's pretty much on the west coast, about about halfway up. But now I'm on the west coast, nearly at the bottom. Um, very, very rural where I am. Uh, nearest big town is five... Well, nearest little town is five miles away. Nearest shop is five miles away. Oh, my gosh. Um, on the edges <laughs> of the mountain, On the edges of the Welsh mountains overlooking the sea. Okay. And uh, that's Except totally the- opposite of Wales, right? Wales is on the other side. No, 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 I am in Wales, so I'm on the nearest bit of the UK to, to you with just just below Ireland. So okay, Ireland, now I, know. All right, now I get a feel Wales. of where you guys are from. Yeah. And, of course, I am from Dracut, which is on the New Hampshire-Massachusetts border, and in between two large cities, uh, Lawrence and Lowell, which were the... Uh, boot mills uh, where the Industrial Revolution, where they made uh, shoes and uh, fabric, uh, primarily. So, it, but where I am is right across from the river, and it's it's very rural. I have uh, woods in my backyard, basically, and we get bald eagles and deer and all the uh, animals around, the coyotes and fisher cats and so forth. So I have the best of both worlds. I can be anywhere on a major highway in five minutes, or I'm still close enough to enjoy the wildlife. Uh, sounds really nice. I'm I'm just a bit too far west, unfortunately. Um, mm. It's a great place, but uh, if I want to go and do anything or have to go and attend anything, then I have a three-hour drive just to get out of Wales and then probably another three hours to get where I'm going. I did say when I was driving to you and Norrie was in the car, it was probably three hours into the journey. I got to the part where it was mainly hillsides and sort of mountain tops, and it was winding through the roads. And I said under my breath, but she perfectly heard it. I, I was just sort of thinking to myself, lost in thought, just continuously driving. I just said, God, Steve's such a bloody recluse. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's very good because um, I, I do get to go to Ireland quite regularly, and mm. um, that's literally... By the time we've put petrol in the car, driven to the ferry, driven off the other end, uh, 1.6 miles. That's all up. That's (laughs) 1.6 miles from Ireland. How about that? That's not bad. That's car car miles. So, I mean, Cal, you're in a different generation from Steve. I hate to say it, Steve, but I think he's a little younger than you. He is. He is. Okay. So, I mean, what was... With with you, what was the growing up like? Growing up at Christmas time for you, Mister Cooper? Uh, um, literally scratching my head here thinking about that. Oh my god! 
Wow, these um, youngins, they, they have sharp memories, huh? Well, you, you just want me to name kind of different things that happen. I mean, so I think that for many years they were kind of like they always seemed the same to me with the same sort of excitement building up and um, wondering what you're going to get for Christmas. But was, I was talking to Nori last night about kind of little things, little memories of different sort of like bags that my parents kept or something like that that would always have the presents in beforehand to be wrapped or we all had our own individual stocking that got brought out every year and we didn't hang it by the fireplace. We had them on the door handles of all of our bedroom doors. So the next morning you kind of look in it and find all these chocolate coins in there and stuff like that. And it was great. It was really magical when you kind of grow up and have that. And you've got, I think we had a synthetic tree for years and then it was only like recently we started getting real ones. But even a synthetic tree was just as magical and... um, you know, even now, um, at the moment, we've got the log fire going, we've got the Christmas tree up, we've got some candles on the uh, mantelpiece, and uh, um, we're all gathered round, really, in there. It's nice and warm and cosy, and that that's kind of the Christmassy thing, really. That's what I like, just being by a log fire and nice and cosy and everyone, to de- uh, everyone together. Right. I, I, I love that idea of the uh, stockings. I mean, uh, growing up myself, we always had Christmas stockings my mom and dad would always make for us, and... Um, but we never had them, you know, we always, they were by the Christmas tree all the time. And yeah. I love the idea of having them on the door handles. I think that's a, a, a great tradition. And I always remember, though, because, like, you know, my, my parents grew up during the Depression, so we would always get, like, a, a we always got, you know, we got gifts in the stocking as well, but there were some gifts that we got that was so... Uh, related to that, and you know, we'd find a few coins in the in the stock, and we'd always get an orange because these were things that were, you know, back in the depression times that were scarce. And and I remember we used I used to get a snow globe uh, every year. It was the same one. Uh, it always made its reappearance, <laughs> and uh, I, the, the, that's the stocking thing I always remember. Well, what about you, uh, Steve? Well, I, I'm not quite old enough to remember Dickens, but um, personally, I, I, yeah, personally, <laughs> although I, I, like I did know right? all of his children. Um, my my Christmases were were, I guess, kind of uh, very like yours, Ron. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, you know, parents that there was no depression. I mean, that's you know, we have that today, but um, we had. Uh, a stocking. It was actually a, 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 a sports sock. That we really? Touched. Yeah, we had, um, and in that would be uh, an orange or some walnuts, some coins, chocolate, and a few very small sort of toys, or maybe uh, a plastic pop gun. Uh, and then downstairs under the tree were the the main presents. Um, but I had two younger brothers, and I always remember one one year. I was two years older than I am. Two years older than my my, my brothers. They're twins, um, and I have vague memories of it, which are reinforced by by my parents telling me endlessly every Christmas, telling me the story of uh, which would have been my third Christmas. And of course, by then I had two little little brothers. And I came down on Christmas morning and was woke up, went downstairs, and there were three sacks of toys under the Christmas tree. And I spent the next half hour delightedly, with a bottle in one hand, opening everything. Uh, to my <laughs> parents' dismay, who had to come down and start wrapping up all this ripped Christmas paper, uh, because obviously I didn't know that they weren't all for me. So, uh, yeah, but apart from that, then grandparents would come around later in the day. Um, 
we'd have Christmas and Christmas dinner, uh, and then probably in the evening we'd visit relatives or relatives would come visit us. Has yeah, much so changed, Steve? Is there an electric fence around your Christmas tree and to stop you getting close to it? Uh, <laughs> not, not this year. Um, <laughs> the, um, actually, to be honest with you, for the last five or six years, I don't think I've actually had any presents. Uh, on oh, Christmas. really? No, no, that's not, that, uh, it's not a sympathy thing. It's just the way things have worked out. They've either happened earlier or happened later because having a birthday very close to Christmas um, always meant that either the, the presents were combined or, or the worst possible thing, and I do want sympathy for this, is people who insisted on wrapping birthday presents in Christmas paper. Oh, God bless us. <laughs> that's really, you know, that, I mean, that's just a real insult. Right, that's it. I'm wrapping those Zena cards up now. I feel sorry. <laughs> but, Ron, you know, I, was, I was just looking here at some of the... You asked me some uh, things, you know, to, to about Boxing Day and things, but... Yeah, I mean, can we hold off a little bit on, on that? And, and uh, I, I still like to kind of rem- reminisce a little bit about Christmas for all of us. And, uh, you know, if any of our listeners want to go into the chat room and, and let us know, too, we can certainly... Uh, yeah, that as well, because, it, I mean, I, to me, anyways, I, I, I feel that Christmas is a, a personal thing. I mean, it's a family thing. It's, you know, it's my little, uh, you know, enjoyment in life, whatever it is. And it, it just, it, it brings such a warm and fuzzy feeling. Uh, it sounds kind of corny, but it's true to me. I really love Christmas. And um, I, I, I would really like to know more about, you know, how you guys, for instance, the, the Christmas tree. I mean, how is is the Christmas? I mean, how did you decorate the tree? And has it changed? Let's start with you, Steve, because you're the oldest. Uh, from when you were young to now, do you still decorate a Christmas tree? And and has it changed over the years? And what it's, do you put on a Christmas tree? Um, well, when we were growing up, we had uh, a tree that was probably one that you would recognise. Uh, it was uh, my parents. We we didn't have. Uh, a natural tree we always had artificial mm-hmm. and it was something that my parents had had since the 1950s when they first sort of got together um and it was uh, by the time i was growing up it was quite a moth-eaten thing but we always had gla- <laughs> glass balls and i always remember there were glass doves with fan tails oh yeah some, yeah 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 some um electric lights that were either small lights or some that were shaped like stars or Father Christmas or Santa, oh, that's cool. we call him. Um, and that was, and we always had paper chains around the room, um, which we, we spent, uh, we either made at school or we made with my mum um, around the kitchen table, bits of gummed coloured paper that would be cut up and then stuck together to form chains. Is that, is that an some, English thing? Do you, do you know? Balloon. Um, I think it was an austerity thing because... Uh, after after the war, um, you know, we certainly in Britain we had rationing until the fifties, which was way before my time. But there was this legacy of, of uh, from my parents' generation of making do and making your own decorations. Um, and I noticed that the other day I was looking at vintage decorations on eBay, and some of these very sort of rudimentary paper uh, rosettes and paper chains. And some of these glass, fabulous glass baubles from the fifties and sixties, um, are now making a, you know, they're, they're commanding quite, quite substantial figures. Really? Um, but 
that was it. I mean, for for me though, the, you said about you love Christmas. For me, Christmas yeah. Day. I don't want this to sound wrong, but Christmas Day has always been an anticlimax. Really? Uh, for the me, anticipation? For me, no, for me, the magical day is Christmas Eve. Because uh-huh. that's the day where it all comes, you know, it's all coming to a head. You've got, I remember occasionally it would snow at Christmas. My dad would come home from work early. Uh, you know, everybody was excited. Like when Christmas Day itself, you would wake up in the morning, you'd rip through the presents, you'd eat too much chocolate, my mum would be stressed cooking the dinner. <laughs> there'd be a house full of there'd be a house full of, you know, relatives getting in the waste which meant you couldn't play with your toys and then everybody would fall asleep in the afternoon and uh, grandparents being the first. <laughs> but for me, and it still very much is, I mean I always try and go to church on on uh, Christmas Eve. Um, oh, that's nice. I always like I always like to go to the shops on Christmas Eve just to get into that sort of last minute gift. Uh, but for me, the magical day is the day before Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kel? Um, well, how was your? I mean, how growing once again the same question, Steve? Is growing up has your tree your tree changed over the years? And yeah, I know you. Uh, my my grandparents always tried to make it um, so they could arrange a separate day for me and my sister to uh, my older sister to go around and decorate the tree for them and put up the tree. So uh, one of my grandparents certainly had a tree that was kind of very much like what he was describing. That was quite worse for wear and probably been in and out of the attic for the best part of forty years. <laughs> so it was just becoming metal stalks rather than having this like green plastic right around it. And um, with that particular tree. Every year you knew there was an extra glass bauble when you went through the box that had accidentally got poked by another one, so it smashed a little bit. So you wondered whether you could actually put it on the tree and hide the broken side or whether it was just time for it to go. And then uh, my grandma also had, um, I remember my grandfather passed away by that point, so it was um, quite good for her that we always went around and spent a lot of time actually putting up the tree. Um, but she always had these icicles that we put on the tree, and we had to thread them down a branch. And it wasn't until, um, like, only five or six years ago that she'd actually kept them out. And my dad went round to look at them and said, uh, what are you doing with these? And she said, oh, they're decorations for the Christmas tree. And he goes, no, they're not. They're bloody drink stirrers. And she'd been using glass drink stirrers for ages and seriously thought they were Christmas decorations, and they weren't. So and that's, we all, that's, ha- that's the austerity thing again, Cal. Yeah, yeah. Make, we, we ha- make do and mend. Exactly. They're in the drinks cabinet now, though, so they haven't been on a tree since. I don't think anyone's bothered stirring a drink with them, so they may as well have stayed as icicles. Um, And then at my other grandparents' house, they had um, a smaller tree, but they had weird decorations, ones that you could never find any two baubles that would match. And there was always one that fascinated me because it was a glass bauble, but it was the exact shape of a goldfish, and it was painted to look like a goldfish. And its tail tail had long since broken off, but I just found it bizarre that there was a single half goldfish (laughs) hanging off the Christmas tree. And then there was something, I bet you. Sorry? I bet you it meant something. It probably did mean something. Because to finding Nemo, probably. (laughs) Probably, yeah. That's where the idea came from, but someone obviously beat me to it. Someone probably had more than one of these things and then came up with the idea. Uh, Who's got got the other fish? Well, who's got the tail? That's the thing. Where did it go? I never thought to ask. Finding the Ron, tail. Ron, every year we have a tradition, um, well, certainly in my family um, and my wife's also, that we buy one decoration, a special decoration 
Uh, and we, we rotate each, you know, sort of family member buys one. So I, my turn last year and yep. it's all, all little ones this year. Do you do that over there with the baubles or the decorations? Decorations to me are really important. Uh, all growing up, uh, you know, I mean, for instance, the angel on our Christmas tree, uh, I bought when we first got married 40 years ago, and it's, it's you know, it's got a doll's head on it, and the, the thing is, you know, looking kind of ratty, but I can't get rid of it because it, it means so much. And as far as decorations, uh, what we had, uh, what I started actually was uh, with the stocking, everyone got a decoration. For instance, my son, uh, who is 30-some-odd now, was always a nutcracker decorations so he has a huge collection of nutcrackers and uh you know so everyone we would always buy each other a, a uh a decoration so they meant something you know we we they associated with something so that that was kind of neat but uh you know i had a laugh at those those icicles i actually have some uh, unless I gave them to my son, I might have given passed them on to my son. My parents used to have these plastic icicles. They look like icicles, and they would just clip onto the tree, and they would glow in the dark. They were just plastic glow in the dark. And I always loved those. I thought those were the, the coolest things. And, and the other thing that really was really cool for me was the bubblers, which were lights. They had uh, a base, a colored base, and then they had a glass tube with liquid in it. And the base would heat the liquid, and they would bubble and, and uh, constantly bubble. And to me, uh, I love those, and I still put those on my tree, except for this year. This year, because I'm doing renovations in my house, unfortunately, I, I can't even get up in the attic to get my Christmas stuff down, so I bought a small Christmas tree and a small set of lights and a small set of decorations, and it's on the thing, and that's my Christmas tree for this year. But but the spur is well, there anyway. I have a question, um, yeah. and it relate, it's, it's for Ron, because there's one tradition that we seem to be... Uh, or you seem to have exported to us. I'm not talking about Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's candy canes. Where do oh, candy yeah. canes? Because uh, oh, they're wow. so big over there with Christmas, aren't they? You know, it's, it's associated with Christmas and candy canes. Do you know the Do you know the story behind that? No, no. That's why I'm asking. Because okay, we've got them in the last stores I've, now. I've got to I've got to re 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 look it up. I mean, it, but it, it actually uh, has a Christian meaning to it. Right, because we, we, we didn't the have break, them over okay. here. You know, is it meant to be the shep- Is it meant to be the shepherd's cane then, or something like that? There's a, I'll go into it because there's a lot of symbolism in it. But I will. Uh, I know my brother. Uh, my brother does. Uh, he has an embroidering business, and he does a lot of uh, different uh, religious uh, embroidery. And I remember one year, uh, he's very big in a church, and, and they went and they made. They bought all these candy canes, and they they got this little. Um, write up on it what it meant and it was attached to each of the candy canes and they gave them out to all the people that when they walked into the church and everything but I will after the break I will definitely give you the meaning on that I just like I said I have to brush up on it so I do have to re uh, look at it so I mean I guess we in, in a way we're different but our Christmases are the same we have a lot of shared traditions as well um, that go back way 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 beyond even you and me Ron no one um, goes beyond that. Just, just before we go to the break, I mean, I've got a great one here that we have. Oh, in well, yeah, let, let us have it. Yeah, let us have it. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I always thought this was a Welsh tradition um, <clears throat> where um, people would uh, 
believe that cattle in the fields would kneel um, and speak at midnight on Christmas Eve. And many really? people in Wales claim to have seen them. Uh, in 1878, um, one, one uh, preacher... Uh, watched cattle kneeling on Christmas Eve with tears flowing down their faces. But then the next line is most interesting because it says, uh, a Nova Scotia farmer um, heard his his oxen say, tomorrow we will be drawing wood to make our master's coffin, and was so shocked that he actually died the next day. So this does seem to be a tradition that um, that's sort of crossing the Atlantic, particularly... Um, Others that are related to the British West Coast and the areas of New England and Newfoundland. Uh, the Yule Log being, uh, being one in particular, where you, uh, over your side of it, fire um, in Newfoundland, fire muskets and seal guns um, at the, at the, to celebrate the lighting of the Yule Log, apparently. Okay. Um, and of course... The, the- Funny, but the Protestants were the first to um, have our uh, traditional Christmas tree that we have uh, this time. They were they started that back, I believe, in the eighteen. Oh my God, I'm going to forget this. In the eighteen hundreds, I forget what the exact thing, but they were they were first ones that brought the tree in and decorated it. It's very similar to the way we do it uh, now. So, although I mean, you can always you can go back to Egypt actually and uh, look where certain uh, uh, greenery uh, was a symbol of uh, eternal life, and you know that. It's also part of the, the same thing the Yule Log is. So, I mean, you can you can find these little symbolisms in different cultures. So I, I don't think they come from one specific one, but, you know, they're drawn from many. Yeah, it was just a similarity because, obviously, New England was settled primarily from Old England, um, right. Great Britain. And it's just you seem to have, have developed... Uh, versions of the same traditions, the Yule log, uh, the cows kneeling, uh, some of the, some of the ones related to Christmas puddings, uh, the trees. Christmas uh, puddings. Yeah. We don't have Christmas pudding here. You, no. yes, you do. No, we don't. Well, according, you used to have them then. What's happened now? You replaced them with something. McDonald's, perhaps? <laughs> it's Christmas Dunkin' Donuts. Deep fried, <laughs> yeah, deep fried Christmas pudding in batter. Probably. <laughs> With a dollar bill stuffed in it. <laughs> we never, oh wow, that's so crass. <laughs> we, we, you know what, and honestly, we had, uh, Christmas pudding was always a, a British thing or always a, an English thing. It was never uh, an American thing. It never caught on like um, you guys, you know, I mean, to you, I mean, we, we, it's synonymous with the England and UK. Well, I've got a note here that says New England farmer John Hughes sat down with his guest in 1796 to enjoy roast and boiled beef, hams, hares, fowls, mints and apple pies, Christmas pudding, junket, cinnamon cakes, cider cakes, Christmas cakes, beer and honey. Yeah, well, we'll take a break on that one. (laughs) 
You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the rock star parapsychologist. Yes, it's true. He's here, Mr. Cal Cooper, Mr. Parascience, Steve Parsons, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick. We'll be right back after the following messages on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange, deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Bear X family. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. Back, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the rock star parapsychologist, Mr. Cal Cooper, and the ever dazzling Mr. Stephen Parsons, and the humble Mr. Ron Kolick, right here on Tojinet Pararex Ghost Channel and beyond. So, there you go. But, uh, actually, I have to do something right now. I'm having my tea. You have, I always drink tea when I do the show, although I'd like to drink wine, I think. Right, right. I'm going to answer a question you posed at the end of last week's show, Ron. Okay, you can asked, do that. 
you asked me why you sip your tea. Um, actually, you should do it the English way out of the saucer. With your little finger in the air. You, yeah, well, that's what, you, the English drink tea out of a saucer, not a cup. Why? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Tradition. Okay. <laughs> Tradition uh, and, um, I don't know. The amount of tea I would drink, it would be one hell of a, you know, it would be a platter, I guess, and it still wouldn't cover it. Um, anyway, it, back to the question you asked me last week. Why is it well, called... Well, Box. Okay, go ahead. Boxing Day all about. Do you remember the question? Oh, wait a minute. Before you get to that one, i got to give the candy cane thing. Oh, oh you know. Already. Go on, then. I heard you frantically typing. Yep, I, I looked it up. <laughs> this is the true meaning of the candy cane. The candy cane maker in Indiana, that's in the United States, by the way, wanted to make a candy cane that would uh, be a witness for Jesus. So he made the Christmas candy cane. He incorporated several symbols of the birth, ministry, and death of Jesus in it. Uh, he began with a stick of pure white hard candy. The white symbolizes the virgin birth and sinless nature of, of Jesus. The hardness of the candy was used to, solid, to symbolize the solid rock, the foundation of the church, and the firmness of the promises of God. The candy maker also made his candy came in the form of a J to repara- represent the name Jesus, who came to earth as our Savior. It also represents the staff of the Good Shepherd. You were right on that, Richard. Um, Richard, oh my God, Stephen. With, uh, which no, he it was, reaches it was down. Cal, but you can call him Richard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thinking the, the candy came was somewhat plain, the candy uh, maker stained it with a red stripe. He used... Uh, three small stripes to show the flogging of Jesus received, uh, which uh, when we were healed, the large stripe uh, represents the bloodshed. Uh, so th- there's a lot of meaning there. So uh, didn't know that, did you? No. Mm. But anyways, yeah, they've but always been. Uh, yep. Yeah, you, know, you know, nobody knows it. To be in a, but I see. I bet you, if you asked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, ten people. We, t- we got them in t- our stores. They, uh, well, we, they're quite, they're quite recent over here. I mean, yeah. we did have them when I was a child, but they were rare. Um, there might have been mm. a decoration in the shape of a candy cane, but now yeah. all our stores have got candy canes. In. I just bought some Mr. Kipling little cake slices that are flavoured candy cane flavour, and they are delicious. They're brilliant. I wish they had them. Forever. They're just great. Just sugar keep though, isn't it, Cal? So sugar flavoured no, no. cakes. <laughs> no, no. They've got a slight raspberry tinge to them, and then they've done the icing to look like a candy cane, and then it does kind of taste like a candy cane, but it's, it's a little cake slice instead. So it just can, it messes with your head. It's well, incredible. maybe we, can, we, we should export them to America and mess with their head. We have, know, we have candy cane martinis. We have candy cane martinis. That's got to be good. A candy cane martini, that does sound good. Yeah. How'd you get the then swirls we can, into then we, it? Can, we can use those drink stirrers, those ice cones. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, so, terrible. anyways, Mr. Uh, uh, Parsons, what is Boxer Day? Boxing Day, the origin, is actually... It's one of those lost in the myths of times, but it is generally like considered... Like the candy cane. It's generally considered that it refers to the giving of arms or uh, the opening of the parish poor box um, uh, and the, the, the sort of handing out of the contents of that to the the poor and also the workers of um, the the uh, who work the land, the servants uh, because really? obviously they, 
they would have worked Christmas Day in, in service, and so the, the next day would be with their families, and this was their day. But there's also an interesting transatlantic link. Um, in the days when the uh, um, clippers were crossing the Atlantic, so sort of the 1840s, 50s, 60s, another tradition that's linked to Boxing Day is that um, a box was placed as a good luck device uh, in the form of a small container. It was put there by the priest. And a crewman who wanted to ensure a safe return, um, crossing the Atlantic to the Americas, um, they would drop money into the box, and it was sealed up and kept for the entire voyage. When the ship returned safely back, the box was handed back to the priest... Um, in exchange for prayers of thanks for the success of the voyage, and the box would be the box would be kept sealed until the day after Christmas Day, when it would be opened and the contents shared with the poor and the uh, any families of sailors lost at sea. Oh wow, that that's cool. And but, and those, that, I mean, I've always heard about it, and and I understand the holiday, but I really didn't know the origins of it, which is. Uh, you know, that's really interesting. Well, and it makes actually, sense, too. Yeah, well, it's not actually even the day after Christmas Day. Boxing Day is the first working day after Christmas Day mm. because December the 26th is actually St. Stephen's Day, which we know from the Carol Good King Wenceslas list, who went out in the snow on the Feast of Stephen, which would have been the 26th of December. Um, so you have Boxing Day as the first working or you know, uh, working day after Christmas, um, but the two of them are often, you know, the same day if it's uh, if it's a, a weekday. But we have a great tradition in Wales um, that, sadly, and I'm going to get lynched for doing this one, but it's a real tradition. Look it up. Um, sadly, is no longer practiced, and it was called holly beating. Holly um, beating. Holly beating, and was she a stripper uh, or something? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what this was. Um, men and boys from the villages would go armed with large boughs and branches of very prickly holly, and they would beat the naked and unprotected arms of female domestics and others of a like class until their arms bled. Uh, in, 18, in 1857, um, the law, uh, with, uh, they, they brought in lots of extra officers of the law to try and extinguish this custom in parts of Wales, but it was still being observed as late as 1879 uh, in South Wales, um, where men and boys would go around the village armed with, uh, say, bunches of hollies um, and beat the living daylights out of female servants and young young maidens. And what so was this called again? Uh, homing Day or Holly Day. Behave oh yourself, day. <laughs> um, I, I think that's probably a great, tra- uh, a great tradition. One that I we should bring call, back. Yeah, call to bring it back because I, it's ve- it's considered very, very unlucky, or it was considered very unlucky to bring Holly into the house except for Christmas Day. Um, bringing Holly uh, into the house before Christmas was considered to be very unlucky. And if uh, Holly Holly was obviously symbolised the male. Um, and if you did, or if Holly hadn't bore berries uh, because it had been a poor year for the Holly, uh, what they would often do is get 
um, the berries from mistletoe and stain them red um, and hang those over the holly uh, to try and sort of calm it because the mistletoe and the ivy oh, the poor um, holly. Were, were, were considered to be females, so therefore calming. Mm-hmm. So very, very unlucky to bring your holly indoors, uh, except for Christmas Day, and then on Boxing Day, take it out and beat the living daylights out of some... <laughs> I, I just want to bring in a poor my domestic boxing. servant. <laughs> my Boxing Day was slightly different. When I grew up, my Boxing Day would always consist of eating um, all the leftover Christmas food that there was, which was usually a lot of chocolate that you couldn't eat on the day. My mum would probably usually buy me a couple of pairs of boxer shorts, and then I'd probably spend the afternoon watching boxing on the telly. And that's not <laughs> no joke. I did, I did that for several years. So Boxing Day to me was always about getting boxer shorts and watching boxing. <laughs> My parents always told me that Boxing Day was the day they had to put all the boxes in the, you know, away. <laughs> so I grew up thinking that Boxing Day was the day that you, you know, you put all the, the boxes. Christmas tree down. No, 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 all the toy boxes that you've been playing with the day before, you had to tidy them all up. And oh, them okay, now I understand. Um, so we were always told that that was the day where we had to put everything away and tidy it up and put it back in your room and, you know, the chaos of Christmas Day was over. And speaking about Christmas trees, how, how long do you keep them up? Uh, Boxing Day, usually, if I have my way. Yeah, it it varies from person to person. Some people try to keep them up all year long if they could. Yeah. It's like Christmas decorations in the houses around here. Sometimes they don't come down until July. Well, I have a wife who likes to try and put the Christmas decorations up increasingly early every year. So I, I, they've been up now for two weeks and, you know, come come Boxing Day, I'm glad to see the Mm. back of the damn things. Uh, Or you'll get the holly. Uh, or I'll get, or she'll get the holly if we don't get the, the decorations taken down. Because yeah, I can see it that way around. <laughs> you get the holly. Nothing, it, for, you know, I mean, I, I love Christmas. I love the build up to Christmas, but once it's done, it's done. Um, and I start looking forward to the new year because in, in Britain, historically, new year was always the bigger, uh, um, celebration of the two. Um, it, and it was always the time traditionally for gift giving. Um, and still in parts of, of Wales, um, people still do give New Year's Day gifts as well as Christmas gifts. But, really? you know, go back three, four hundred years and Christmas was the, the sort of build up to the big festival of New Year uh, where the real celebrations and gift giving took place. Did you always did you have like a traditional Christmas Eve dinner versus a, a Christmas Day dinner? No, no. Um, we as I grew up, um, in fact, it was only from watching National Lampoon's Christmas Holiday and... My um, favourite movie ever. American movies that I realised that you have a big dinner on Christmas Eve, whereas we... Christmas Eve, it's about... Um, ter- Getting drunk. Yeah, my mum would boil a ham, um, <laughs> me and my dad, my brothers would, would try and steal bits of it for sandwiches, and then we'd all mm. be packed off to bed nice and early so that Father Christmas could come. Hmm. And then we'd yeah, be trapped for Father Christmas. When, when we, uh, when I grew up, it was growing up, uh, of course I'm Polish, so we always had a traditional Polish dinner, which was ham and pierogi, and, uh, we always had the, um, uh, the host, the unblessed host, that they would always break bread and, and, uh, pass that around, so that would, you know, we had our own traditions at Christmas Eve. Mm. Now, uh, gentlemen, may I be so bold as it's Ghost Chronicles International to actually bring ghosts into the spirit of Christmas? I, that 
That was my next topic, believe it or not. Was it? Yeah. No, there we go. <laughs> the ghost free zone. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, it's a shame. Um, if, if I'd have known that we we're uh, going to base this one on Christmas, I would have made sure I had Harry Price's Christmas Ghost book on me because it's only uh, some sixty pages long, and there's only like a few words on each page. <laughs> it's it's really tiny, and the main emphasis of his book is he talks about any relationship there may be between Christmas time and people having paranormal experiences. So he starts off by actually discussing Charles Dickens and the writing of the Christmas Carol and what he believed Charles Dickens's belief in ghosts might have been. And his conclusion was that Charles Dickens probably didn't believe in ghosts whatsoever, but he was certainly not a fool when it came to understanding that uh, the idea of discussing ghosts as a story around the fire at Christmas time or at any time of the year is certainly very entertaining for anyone. Um, so that's why the Christmas Carol became so successful. Um, but here and there, when you um, look into the story of the Christmas Carol and you see all the different ghosts, especially Jacob Marley, there are certain mentions within the discussions that they have between the living person and the dead person of Victorian beliefs in ghosts and what they believe might cause them. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just got up the script here for um, the conversation between Scrooge meeting the ghost of Jacob Marley. And I just want to read the conversation out. So um, Scrooge is sat down and suddenly sees the ghost appear um, after the bell rings and he's eating his gruel by the fire that's only got a few coals on. And he suddenly sees Jacob stood in the corner to then say, How now? What do you want with me? Much, replies Jacob Marley. Who are you? Ask me who I was, replies Marley. Well, who were you then? You're particular for shade. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you Can you sit down? I can. Then do it then, Scrooge replied. You don't believe in me, do you? replied Jacob Marley. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't. Then why do you doubt your senses? Because little things can affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blob of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of under uh, of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. I mean, that um, I thought was... I always think it's brilliant every time I see different variations of the Christmas carol, and that's kept in this idea that maybe a bit of indigestion might disrupt the senses, and therefore you might have reason to doubt what you're seeing, which could right. be the... but at uh, the end, though, Cal, what yeah. happens? He does see the ghost. He oh, yeah. knows they're real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He accepts that the ghost is real, but I, I like just that that was written in the script as one of the possible rational explanations that yep. there might beef or disorders of the stomach, which might cause you to doubt your senses and so forth. But yes, admittedly, he does accept he's seen the ghost at the end. You, you I, know, I, we always had that line in the Christmas girls, uh, you know, telling ghost stories at Christmas, and that was never a, 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 uh, an American thing. I mean, was it during Victorian times? I mean, did they tell ghost stories at Christmas time? Yes. I. The BBC in particular always used to have um, late on at night, um, which we were allowed to watch because this was the days before VCRs. Mm-hmm. Um, the BBC would always put on a Christmas ghost um, story or a series of ghost stories in the build-up to and around Christmas. And my favourite—I mean, <laughs> every time you turn on the TV, there's a version of um, the you know the Muppets Christmas Carol, <laughs> you know, Charles Dickens' most famous book. Um, but my favourite was was a, a, another story by Dickens, which was uh, I remember seeing it as a child um, on, on on television, and it was called The Signalman. 
Um, and it was first published in 1866 uh, as a short story, uh, and it was originally entitled Mugby Junction. But it, it tells the, um, the story of a railway signalman who, who controls the, the signals uh, at the entrance to a tunnel um, and a ghost that haunts both him and the tunnel entrance. And every appearance of this spectre precedes a tragic event on the railway. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's one of the, a story that stuck with me and it's a story that uh, I've always remembered and always associated with Christmas every bit as much as uh, Christmas Carol. I mean, you know, Dick, Dickens is the, the archetypal Christmas storyteller. He produced two volumes of books, um, uh, Christmas, Christmas ghost stories. Um, really? Because, that I didn't know. Yeah, there were, there were two he, he, uh, from his uh, journal, uh, which was called Household Words. Um, and there were two volumes of, and, uh, of Christmas stories because every year he wrote a new Christmas ghost story. Um, and, of course, it's not just you know his famous book, A Christmas Carol, and these other ones, but part of the inspiration for a lot of what we do at Christmas and a lot of how we think about Christmas is laid at Dickens' door um, with... Um, his other one of his other great books, and I can't remember the title of it. That's okay. It's not Great Expectations. It, Pickwick Papers. Okay. Um, where you know Dickens does describe what we now associate as the traditional Victorian Christmas, the archetypal Christmas. It, it's so funny you mentioned Charles Dickens because I just uh, took a uh, DVD out of a library called The Riddle. And it's about a series of murders, but, but listen to the, one of the things. Is, but to stop the killings, he must solve a century-old murder hidden inside the pages of a newly discovered Charles Dickens manuscript. Isn't that bizarre? So Dickens is still being loved, I guess, even in modern times, still going back to his, the person who writes the stories with the mysteries. Anyway, I don't know why I brought that up, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about the Signalman story. Um, I've yeah. just discovered here that it was adapted by Columbia for, for uh, U.S. radio and was broadcast in January 1937. Uh, then again in uh, 1945, 46, 50, and 56. Um, there you go, Ron. Did you catch the original broadcast? All of I saw the original. I mean, I was predated the original. You know, you, you can't get me there. I mean, somebody on Facebook put a picture of a, a stone wheel on it. If you remember this, you were old. And I says, remember it. I invented it. <laughs> but, you know, that, that just gave me the, the coolest idea. What we ought to do is, is get one of these old broadcasts of a ghost story of some sort and do live radio theater. Wouldn't that be cool? I think it might we'd be worth trying. Yeah, what do you think? Funny, funny to get the script. Get the script and what, make... Do it between um, us? Yeah, make Ron play the part of the ghost. Well, it could be any story. We could find... We'd have to find one, of course, to fit uh, the hour that we're on and, and, and uh, 
you know, be able to do it. Uh, I mean, we'd have to, if there were a woman, there, we'd probably have to give her a walk. I can use my woman voice, I guess. <laughs> I got it, I got it. Next Christmas, I'm, an, I'm announcing it early, next Christmas on Ghost Chronicles International, the last show before Christmas, will be the Christmas Pantomime. <laughs> Starring <laughs> Van Helsing, Mr. Parascience, and the rock star Parapsychologist. Pantomime? And, and, and Kerrigan. Uh, who else can we drag into this to play all the different parts? Oh, we, we can get lots of people. And in came the ghost. It's behind you. Where? <laughs> okay, I noticed in the chat room, people are really, uh, really like this deep-fried turkey stuff. They're so intrigued by it. What, what's up with that? You guys never heard of deep-fried chicken in the UK? I mean, deep-fried turkey? Uh, no, we're talking about... No. Oh, that's Roy, isn't it? Ron, do you yeah. deep, deepen fry the turkey or roast? Yeah. Um, incidentally, turkey doesn't come from North America. It comes from Mexico. Oh, bull. It doesn't. <laughs> bull. Turkeys are natives of, of Mexico. It's native oh. of, you, of North America. No, it's Mexican. We had it the like, first Thanksgiving. They, they, that's why they taste so good with chili. Yeah. I'll give you chili. <laughs> Would you read that on the internet? Uh, no, it was on a it was on a, an American uh, television documentary about the origins of Christmas. Yeah, well, you know, they're not just because it's on TV doesn't make it right. Well, couldn't they, couldn't the turkeys have mig- migrate north for the winter? Well, they should have. They could have, and they probably did. Well, there you go. That's how they ended up in New England. If you say so. I- I read the exact same piece of information in a book called A Hundred Facts I'm Not So Sure About by Ron Kolick. And I'm pretty sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty so sure anyways, uh, They keep asking about this stupid deep-fried turkey. I mean, don't you guys deep-fried turkeys over there? No. It's disgusting. <laughs> what we have is this huge cylinder thing that you fill up with boiling oil. And then you take the turkey and you just dip the baby in there and a few minutes it's crispy to eat and delicious. But do you know that, uh, I forget what the thing is, it's something like, uh, uh, 37 or 100 houses burned down because of this stupid thing every year because they don't know what they're doing. And all Americans weigh 30 stone, and they all die of coronary heart disease. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's just... I mean, how? <laughs> I've just got visions here of this giant oil drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boiling away with a turkey inside. <laughs> it's, it's disgusting. <laughs> Stop it. Well, we do, we do that to live lobsters. Can we incorporate that into the pantomime next year, then? Yeah, sure, whatever. We do have turkey twizzlers. Yeah, we do have turkey twizzlers over here. If Cal wants to explain, you had them at school, Cal. So I think you should explain turkey twizzlers to Ron. I didn't bloody have them at school. I had sandwiches at school, but I remember when turkey twizzlers came in, and that Jamie Oliver tried to campaign to get them out because when you repackets for stuff like that, and quite a lot of stuff that you get out of the freezer department of a supermarket that you then cook, cook up. The worrying thing is when you read on the back, and it doesn't say. Oh, fresh meat off the such and such bone or whatever. It says recovered meat. Yeah, recovered from recovered what? Road <laughs> well, mm, I love recovered meat. Uh, so forth. But turkey twizzlers were literally just this big spiral of meat that looked like a corkscrew. And I think it had been coated with a sort of tomato sauce flavoring as well. So it was recovered turkey meat with tomato uh, sauce ba- on it. Barbecue you could cook sauce, in the oven. Yeah. 
So it's kind of like it's kind of like a Slim Jim, right? What what what? Kind of like a Slim Jim was snapping to a Slim Jim, right? You don't know what a Slim Jim is? No, don't know. No. Oh my God! We got to educate you guys when you come over here again. I I I didn't encounter them on either of my previous trips to America. You just go in any gas station. They're in any gas station. They're a big, like a pencil shaped pencil. Of meat that has yeah, been but, cured forever. They last like until the ice age. Yeah, but I was. I went. I, the only gas stations I visited were in Alabama, and there they uh-huh. they sold small alligator heads. Well, I um, hear the Christmas pizza, <laughs> so we've got to wrap it up. So evidently. <laughs> so, anyways, guys, I want to wish uh, Steve uh, Parsons, who's been fantastic this year a very merry christmas and a happy boxing day and to mr cal cooper hopefully we'll see more of him as well we wish you a very merry christmas and your lovely nori as well and uh, a happy boxers day where you go out and buy boxes and watch boxing on tv <laughs> yeah i hope like. you'll be thinking of me on boxing day sat in my Ooh. pants just watching the boxing <laughs> yeah yeah they have little hats on them cal Little hearts. Well, I could request that. I don't know what I'm going to get this year. Can, I haven't can, had them can, for years. I should request it. Oh, no. Oh, do we really want to know? Actually, you know what? I do have a Christmas tradition. And every Christmas, I wear a nightshirt to bed. And I also wear a pair of Santa Claus boxer shorts. Oh, my God. Oh, yep. When you said nightshirt, I was picturing Scrooge then for a second, and that you only get up with a candle. <laughs> and just yeah, about well, that's all we use. Yes, yeah, a candle. But it is a it is a regular <laughs> nightshirt. It, it is a regular nightshirt. I'm, I'm so glad this show has got about thirty seconds to go. <laughs> I think I hear the twos. I think it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> Ron, have a great Christmas. Cal. Oh, thank you, Steve, and, uh, you know, I'll see you uh, next year because we, we do not have any shows for the next two weeks. Oh, no. Talk to you in 2013. If we're still around. If we're still around. Very Merry Christmas to you, Mr. Kolick. And yeah, you year. too, Cal. So, good night and God bless everybody, you know. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> That's the best you're going to get. That sounded spooky. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> Goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.